Yeah, good morning one more time. Uh, it is great to be with you on uh, Resurrection Sunday is what we uh, like calling it around here. Of course, it is Easter Sunday. And uh, so, yeah, um, I, normally at this point, I usually say to people, open your Bibles, please. And that's because uh, we're going to a specific text and we're going to go through it. And uh, I'm still going to say open your Bibles, please, or have one available. We are going to be moving around a fair bit. Um, I can give you some hints. Um, I'm not going to read through much of the Gospel of John or Luke, but certainly 1 Corinthians 15 is one place where you could put a finger, and uh, we're going to have a look around. I'm actually going to, I want to pray before we start um, this morning, and then we'll dive into uh, a message and a word for today. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day one more time. Uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you all. Um, the events of this past week remembered um, from the days where they actually took place. The Lord Jesus, when you came into Jerusalem as king, appearing on a donkey, to hallelujahs that turned into something else. And then that night before with your disciples where you had the last Passover meal, the one where you gave us this way to remember you, and then Friday. Thank you so much. And then there's Saturday, a day of silence, a day of waiting, and then there's today. <laughs> and uh, outside the doors here today, it's not sunny but we know it is somewhere, <laughs> and we know it is in our hearts. So, Lord, thank you so much for doing that for us. We ask your blessings upon us at this time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just bless the words, the thoughts. Um, bring your word alive for us this morning, I pray. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So if you were here on Friday, you would have heard me uh, reflect on, because again, I'm starting to study and prepare for it and reread and, and reflecting on on. Something that just, it stood out to me. I mean, I've, I've known this, but it's really kind of stood out in such a huge way was the amount of scripture dedicated to the last week of Jesus' earthly life before his death, burial, and resurrection. It's incredible. It, it's so, so much. I, and I highlighted for you that a third of Matthew, a third of Mark, a quarter of Luke, and almost a half of John's gospel are about this one week. And what's the point? Well... It's the most important week in the history of the world. And God wanted that highlighted so that we would see that and understand that. And so, again, the thought was a little bit like, I don't know where I heard this, but it was years ago someone said, when I shared a similar idea, I think someone said to me something like this, why is, that, why is it that Christmas is a season and Easter is a day? All right? I think, you know, some of us celebrate Lent, you know, we go through the Lenten readings and stuff like that in anticipation and preparation, but I think, I think next year, maybe we need to start a new tradition and we're going to maybe start a Passion Week like in March <laughs> and really look at it and go into it. Amen? Maybe? Maybe let's do that. So again, back to all the material, uh, the thought that arises for me for today is like, okay, how do you, how, just the material on this day. How do you choose? And every year I kind of have the same dilemma. It's like, okay, what, what, did, what did we do last year <laughs> and the year before that? And, and so on. And where do you want to go? And, and, and uh, there's so much to look at and so much to highlight. And uh, 
and, and so this year, the same thing. I'm looking at it, and um, um, I mean, for me, there, I have two favorites. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, the whole chapter. Uh, I might, I'm going to highlight a few things about that for you, but also Luke 24, and, and especially uh, the Road to Emmaus story. I love that story, right? Really, really do. But John records for us an interesting chapter, right? We begin, it's the first day of the week, he tells us in the beginning of that chapter. I'm not going to read it, but if you have it open to that, you can kind of track along. And it's Mary Magdalene, right? One of Jesus's very faithful and loyal disciples. One of the women who followed and loved him and served him for many, many years. She goes to the tomb, as many of the other women did, uh, with spices to prepare the body of a dead man because they couldn't finish that on Friday. And she arrives at the tomb, and, and she's, uh, when she gets there, she notices that the tomb is, stone is rolled away, and she can see from a distance into the tomb, and it's empty. So that's amazing. Right, and then she's visited by a couple of angels, and, and she's like, a little shocking, for sure, miraculous event. And uh, the angels, what, 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 why are you weeping? What's going on? And she goes, where have you taken my Lord? Just tell me where he is. I, I, I want to go get him. Where have you taken him? And again, assuming that his body is still dead. And so we see that. And, 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 and then she runs back to the disciples and she tells them that the angels have told her that he is risen. He is no longer here. She goes back and tells the disciples. And well, of course, Peter and John immediately uh, run back the tomb. They run to the tomb and they get there. It's funny. I, I always laugh at this part of the story because John is the one recording this, right? And he, he, he mentions that he mentions that, the, that he's the one who got to the tomb first. So in other words, he beat Peter. And second of all, he was the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> like boys will be boys, right? It's, it's in the scripture. It's, it's awesome. It's a wonderful picture into their lives. So they both look into the tomb, and it's interesting. Peter looks into the tomb, sees the linen cloth wrapped there around Jesus' body. That was wrapped around Jesus' body, lying there on the tablet, on the table. And he wonders. We don't hear anything more about that. But but then John looks in, and he sees the face cloth that would have been over Jesus' face, and it's folded and wrapped up, and it's at the other end of the table, and it says, and he believed. He believed what Jesus had promised would happen. So when they leave, Mary has followed them back to the tomb at this point, Mary Magdalene, and she's still there, and she's, she's weeping, she's across from the tomb, and she has, as I said actually earlier, it was a mistake, sorry, she has this visitation from the angels at this point, and she tells them, you know, uh, again, um, well, where have you taken my Lord? I mean, she still wants to find out what's going on with that. And then at that point, it's an interesting thing. A gardener, or at least a man who she thinks is the gardener, appears there. He asks the same question, why are you weeping? But he adds, whom are you seeking? She replies by asking one more time the same thing. And then he says, Mary. I think she kept crying. Such... Loving, compassion, and so gentle. Well, she then recognizes that it's Jesus, and he gives her a message for the men, and she returns to the men, and she tells them, I have seen the Lord. 
I have seen the Lord. And he told them what he had said to her. Well, John then moves on to the evening, right to the evening. And, and he moves on to the point where the, the disciples are up at 11 anyway, and some of the others are up in the upper room and they're hiding for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus just miraculously appears in the room and he's there with them. And immediately he calms their spirits by saying these words, peace be with you. Literally, peace was with them in him, right? Oh, that would have calmed my spirit. But again, they're, they're seeing a glorified body. They're seeing the risen Jesus. And so there's still maybe a little bit of confusion. So next we read about, of course, the wonderful story about Thomas. I love Thomas. I feel he's been given a, a just a short shrift. Like, not, it's not fair. He's not a doubter. No more of a doubter than anybody else, right? But so this is what we learn about him. He comes back. We don't know where he's been, but he comes back because he wasn't there when Jesus appeared in the room with the disciples, and they tell him, we've seen the Lord. And he's like, yeah, right. That's with you guys. People don't rise from the dead. I'm not going to believe that. And actually, his words in John 20, 25 will be on screen for you. He says these famous words. Unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Famous last words. You know, I, 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 like, I remember the first time I read through when I was a young Christian those words, I was like, I don't think I should, you should have said that, Thomas, right? But that's the amazing thing. Thomas sort of figures something out because seven days later we read again in the story that Thomas is, it's the first day of the week again, and Thomas is this time with the disciples. He's like, okay, I'm going to stick around with you guys because if he showed up once, maybe, I mean, really. And he does. The thing that I find so remarkable about that is that, and it's the story of every single one of you in this room who knows Christ. Jesus reappears that next Sunday, that first day of the week, for the sake of of one man. He says, go ahead. Go ahead. Put your finger into, the, into my wrists, into my side. Go ahead. The good news is, Peter, uh, pardon me, Thomas doesn't do that. He simply says, my Lord and my God. Now that chapter ends with some really interesting words. I'm going to read them for you. Again, they'll be on screen. This is John the Apostle John recording these words. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Many, 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 many books could have been written about all the things that he did and said, but these are written, these events are written so that you will believe. You will trust it's true. So as I've already mentioned, Luke 24, again, I love that story. Jesus goes after two. And this is in the middle of the afternoon, right? He, he goes after the two, probably a husband and wife on the road. They've given up. And he goes after them and he, he turns them around and sends them back to Jerusalem after proving from the Old Testament scriptures that this is what would happen to the Christ. And he breaks bread with them. And at that point, one would expect that either he, his who he really was was revealed to them, or they saw the nail prints. And then they knew who they were speaking with and who was speaking to them. So these are, these are amazing stories. And again, I, we could keep going on. I could say, amen, let's pray. 
right? Because it's Resurrection Sunday. They're amazing. But as I was praying about this and reading about this, I, I realized something. And so I, I skipped to the end of the Bible because, again, I, I look at things like this and we focused on one story on Good Friday about Simon from Cyrene. And uh, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it's, this is John who's on the Isle of Patmos. He's uh, uh, preaching the word of God in that area, but he's also in the spirit on the Lord's day on Sunday, the first day of the week. And he's praying and, and he receives a visitation from angels and also from Christ. And he's told, write these words to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Remember those guys, First Peter? And, and then, then Jesus says, this is 60 years, by the way, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. 60 years later, he says to John these words, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So this word from Jesus, as I said, it's given to him at the book, the beginning of the book of Revelation, which is you know the book of prophecy, a book about what's going to happen before Christ comes again, and what's going to happen when he comes again. Some details, allegorical, metaphorical, challenging to read. But in the end, he comes back. But this is the beginning of it. And, and, and so it's, but the question I have is this, why, I, and I read these things, and most of you come to The Rock regularly, you know, Glenn asks lots of questions. It's because we need, we need answers. I need answers. But the question is, why, why, 60 years later, did Jesus feel it was necessary to tell something to John that he already knows? Why did he feel 60 years later that he needed to do that? John had seen Jesus not only on the third day, on the first Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but he'd seen him numerous times over the next 40 days, as did all of the other disciples, and 500 people at one time, we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And so John had seen him, he touched him, he ate fish with him, I think sushi, but... They broke bread together. Jesus continued to preach about the kingdom of God. And so he'd seen them. He knew it was true. And he'd been proclaiming the gospel for 60 years from that point on and about the resurrection of Jesus. So why, 60 years later, does he tell John, I am alive forevermore? Well, one reason is because he had just asked John to record these letters to the seven churches, and so he, he wants these letters and this information to go to them as well, and so he wants them to know too, 60 years later, most of the people who were at the resurrection, other than John, had probably passed away at that point. John is like in his late 90s at this point, we, we assume, and, and uh, he's the only surviving apostle. All the others had been crucified or put to death in one way, shape, or form, because of their absolute proclamation and refusal to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But John's still living. And so Jesus and the Father know that there's still many, many, many years to go, thankfully, so that you and I can be welcomed into the kingdom 
of God and be forgiven of our sins. Before his return and the truth of his death, burial, and resurrection needs to be proclaimed. But secondly, I think the first two words tell us that he, Jesus, wanted to encourage John. The first two words are, fear not. By the way, John, pass those two words on. Fear not. What? Death. Your own death. Because Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. And so the apostle writes these words, shares them with us. And for the Christian, this was not new to John, or to the early church. They knew all these things, but again, Jesus wants this letter to go to them to what? Encourage them to what? Remain strong in their faith, regardless of the circumstances. Because again, in First Peter, you all remember what was happening to people or would happen and did happen to people who were in Asia Minor. They were put to death by Nero, many of them. So the fear of death was certainly alive. So having confidence in the resurrection for the believer was one of the reasons why these words were uttered, and I'm really grateful for that. So immediately following the first few verses in 1 Corinthians 15, which we're going to go to now, um, Paul reminds them, of course, in the beginning of the gospel that he preached to them that they received and believed, which was of first importance. He said that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised on the third day, is now alive. And then he lists all of his appearances, including to the 500 people at one time, over 40 days to tell the disciples. But then he adds this. He gets to this, which is interesting. In verses 12 and 13 in chapter 15, he says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been risen. (laughs) So Paul's now writing to a church that he planted 20 years earlier, approximately. And as it happens, as is typically happened, false teachers have come into the church questioning especially faith and confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is appealing to a church in which, and this is an important word, some, not all, but some of them were doubting it. But also he's speaking to a church where some of them, including Paul, had seen the resurrected Jesus. But it's been a while. It's been a while, and and, and some within their midst had, had passed away, loved ones, and Maybe some of them were seeing that coming for them too. And so what he's saying is, listen, listen, since eyewitnesses have been proclaiming this fact to you that Jesus is alive and well, how can some of you say what you're saying? So I want to look at that with you this morning under the, the guise of two questions. The first is, what if Jesus is still dead? That's a silly question. But what if? Paul kind of alludes to that. He says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then verse 17, your faith is futile. So first I'm going to suggest this. If true that Jesus is still dead, then what atheists and skeptics say is right. Christianity is nothing but a fairy tale. You know, some spaghetti monster in the in, in the sky is what one atheist referred to. 
God. So Paul is essentially arguing with them that not only is our preaching about Jesus, what I'm doing today, what they were doing in that day, a hoax or fairy tale, the result of it is too, your faith is vain. It's futile. He's questioning that. Now we're looking at it as well. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead and is alive forevermore. So often skeptics also are a little bit like this. I've actually had this, you know, in discussions with atheists or skeptics, even friends who are, you know, of that. They go, Glenn, listen, it's okay. It's all right. Listen, it's all right. We don't, it's okay. It's, maybe it's helpful for you, you know, to have, have your, you know, your simple faith and, you know, like in this mystical God and, you know, um, it's okay to have, it's harmless. Just don't preach it to me, right? But it's okay. It's harmless. So the problem for the Christian then is, you know, quite frankly, sometimes it can cause us to maybe lose faith in this, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't seen the physical resurrected Jesus. But I have faith. Why? Well, a lot of reasons. Because of the word of God. Because it has been proclaimed and preached and taught to me. And because, most of you know, the Holy Spirit made it alive and real to me and to you. But that's the problem, though. The problem is, is in the end, they're kind of saying uh, the resurrection of Jesus is that at best is like, it's, it's like a sincere faith. And so even the, the believer who's a believer for a long time can say, well, yeah, I, I have a sincere faith, but, but... And it can be nothing more than remaining hopeful until the end. The problem is you won't find that kind of logic in any other area of human experience, in the sciences for sure, right? However, you know, isn't it strange that in faith, religion, spiritual, uh, spirituality, it's somewhat acceptable to get that way, to, to become that way? So we'd be no different than the average person who says about a friend who's passed away, R.I.P. Rest in peace. Or, or, or they're in a better place. Or, or of course, all good, good people go to heaven if there is such a place. Right? Of course they do. I'm just going to suggest this to you. Because I've seen it not wreck people's faith, but injure their faith a little bit. Don't buy it for a second. Don't buy it. Why? Because the wise preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 said, God has put eternity into the heart of man, into the heart of every man and woman. What is that? Well, it's the Imago Dei, the, the residual of the image of God that's in every one of us. It's the common grace. Everyone knows, even the most ardent atheist knows that. So don't buy it. Don't buy it. So the key to understand then is this. It doesn't really matter how much faith you have, even sincere faith. It won't get you anywhere anytime soon. The point and key then is this. It's not the sincerity of your faith. Look how much I show up for church. I read my Bible. I pray. It's not about the sincerity of your faith. It's about the person or authority that you're putting your faith in. Amen? Jesus said, I am alive. That's who I'm putting my faith in, and you as well, I hope. So if true, if, if it's true that Jesus is truly still dead, then, of course, the Bible's not a good book, is it? The Bible's not a good book. It, it's a book, as 
one author said, it's a book full of lies then, if that's true, that Jesus is still dead. All of it from cover to cover. If, if it's true that he never rose from the dead and is still dead, then it's all built on lies. And a lot of those lies were told by Jesus himself. So don't say he's just a good moral teacher, <laughs> which some people want us to... Just go there. I, I don't have to believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it's just it's good moral teachings. Not good moral teachings if he wasn't telling the truth about... I will be crucified, dead and buried, but I will raise on the third day. And by the way, I am still alive forevermore. No, truth is none of his great teachings matter if he's not telling the truth. Some of you will know the famous quote by C.F. Lewis who said, listen, Jesus will have none of that. <laughs> Jesus will have nothing about being said that he's just a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis famously said, these are his words, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. I think those are wise words. So the lesson here is if Jesus isn't really alive today, then the Bible isn't worth the paper it's printed on. Or, or coming here on Sunday and opening up and study it. Is it? Unless he's truly alive. There are others. I mean, in verse 15, Paul goes on to say, this is kind of interesting words. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And then in verse 17 again, you are still in your sins. Verse 18, the dead have perished. Oh, so it's a little bit like that famous song, right? Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try, <laughs> Terrible, terrible words. But So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, listen, my sins are still on my account. They're still on your account if he didn't rise from the dead. So think about it this way. Most people who live in our North American culture who even functionally believe that people will rest in peace or there is a God somewhere, you know, and good people will go there if there is a God, you know, even people who, who believe that, listen, the only reason why people believe and have any even lingering hope in belief in a heaven and a life after death is because of the Bible. However, how one gets into heaven, well, that's debatable. That's the debatable part. How, how do I get there? And so it all comes down to your view of who God is and what he's like. He's either the kind old, you know, the kind old guy who's up there in the clouds with the long Gandalf beard, right? He's either that guy, right, who's a little bit like, you know, listen, um, yeah, I, I see you messing up all the time, and, and I, I know you sin, it's, it's okay. I, I, know, I know you mean to do better. It'll all work out in the end. Or he's the God who says no. Even one sin that's not repented of and forgiven by the blood of my son, no heaven. Also, if true, then the world has every reason to pity us. Paul says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Doesn't that sometimes feel like that in the world today? People, you know, like pity us a little bit. about Actually, not just that we are Christians, that we believe in the resurrection, but we believe in the other things that are taught in the Bible, right? Feels like that sometimes. A few verses later, Paul, very tongue-in-cheek, I'm going to suggest to you, says, puts it this way. Again, this is interesting words, verse 30 to 32. Why are we in danger every hour? 
being persecuted. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Carpe diem sees the day. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? He's saying, what's the point of the Christian life, which is a struggle every day? What's the point of sacrificially following Jesus, dying to myself and yourself for his sake, if he isn't risen from the dead? If he isn't alive, then Paul says, listen, go skiing on Sunday morning. Party hard. Carpe diem. So now let's ask that other question. Let's ask the question, what if Jesus is truly alive today? Better question, right? Much better question. Paul says in verse 20, but in fact. Oh, people who love science love facts, right? Here you go. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. After all the rhetoric, Paul declares the fact that Jesus is alive and forevermore. And so if Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, then what? Well, we've got to take him seriously. All of him seriously, right? If he truly rose from the dead, that's, that's the game changer. I, I've said this before, like I've got all my chips on the guy who rose from the dead. It's the greatest game changer that ever happened. This means that everything he said can and must be taken seriously. When he said in Matthew 14, 6, these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was serious. He meant that. I know it's exclusive, but he's serious. I am the only way to the Father. So we can't treat Jesus like any other guru, teacher, guide, or mentor, and say, well, yeah, I like this and that, and I, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, put it on my tool belt of life, but nah, this over here, no. It's, that's for other Christians, but not for me. It's not necessary. You know, I'll, I'll get over the bar. God will be happy with me. No, it, everything applies. You know I have to quote Tim Keller. Best quote on the subject I think I've ever seen. He said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. I like that quote. And so that's a very important thing. Secondly, if Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, my priorities in my life have to change. You read, uh, I think it's uh, Luke 12, it is, and, and uh, Matthew 6. Uh, they were intended to be encouragements by Jesus. Remember, like, uh, you know, look, look at the, the lilies in the field, the flowers in the field, look, look, at, look at the birds in the air, and, you know, like, and all that and everything. But really, that whole passage is about basically Jesus saying this. In a nutshell, your priorities are all wrong my disciples. You're putting the wrong things first. You're, you're heading in the wrong direction, the wrong way. You're heading in the what? The way of the world. His point was that the reasons why we have worry, stress, anxiety in this life are because our priorities are wrong. And so the things we put first are what we will wear, what we will eat, what we will drink, who will be my boyfriend or my girlfriend or marry me or but whatever it might be. Jesus is saying, look, 
your material needs, the things that you really need in your life, if you're in me, I will make sure you have what you need. Just trust me. And then he says, here's your priority in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise, by the way. It's a great promise. So now for most of us, even those who, uh, of you who are most dedicated, this can be very hard. It can, it can be, that can be hard teaching. It's been hard for me. I've got to be honest with you. In my business career, et cetera, it's hard, right? And the reason is because the way of the world seems sometimes a, a little smoother. It seems a little easier, right? Like to get to where I want to get to and what I want to have, you know, like it's okay, Lord, thank you. I, I appreciate salvation. Definitely the resurrection and the fact that I will rise from the dead too. That's awesome. But I got it here. I can take it from here, right? That's a dangerous thing. So, but, but if Jesus is alive, listen, and risen from the, from the dead, and he is, I hope you believe that and trust that, you must take what he says seriously and your priorities must change. And he's always giving us encouragement, including the encouragement he gave to John that I read to you earlier, which we will conclude with. But he also said this in Luke 18. He said to them, truly, look at this. I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children. Hello? Let me repeat that. There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time, it's called this life, and in the age to come, eternal life. So it's completely understandable that the person who does not believe Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, that they will put all of their eggs in the basket of this life alone, right? We can do that too. Again, it's carpe diem, seize the day, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we what? We die. And that apparently is the end of it, so we better get it now. It's not. Obviously, it's not. For the one who has placed their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are promised what? Eternal life. That's called forevermore. (laughs) Finally, number three is, if Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, we, listen, will never die. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? It means that you were born again. You don't die. I've told this story before, but many of you are new to it and visitors, so I'm going to repeat. Seven or eight years ago, uh, eight couples, church planters in British Columbia, my wife Janice and I, were taken to Turkey by our missions board of our denomination. And and, and ostensibly, the reason why we were going there was we were going to be the encouragers encouragers to the church planters in Turkey, right? Because we've got it nailed. We've got it all figured out. We're the smart guys. We know our theology. We, We know how to plant churches, how it's done, Right. We're the apostolic guys. We're going to go there and we're going to show them. Oh my goodness. No, it was the other way around. Huge. One day we're in the basement of one of the hotels in Istanbul, just off the main street. And uh, one of the leaders, I, I don't want to mention his name because his life is always in danger. Um, he's, he's giving his testimony to us and we're all there listening and we're down in the basement and we've got to be careful that we don't say Jesus or Esau, which is... Turkish for Jesus, and, uh, you know, and, and he's telling, he's giving his testimony, and he's, he's talking about when he was in Paris, and, and uh, you know, they were threatened even there, and there was a, a pipe bomb went off that was near a Christian church, and, uh, you know, like, and, and people were hurt, and nobody died, thankfully, but then he talked about how many times that he's been arrested and beaten, and uh, that, you know, other church planters like himself in Turkey had been killed, or at least, let's put it, they disappeared, and so we're all sitting there like, 
<laughs> like Janice and I, all the other church planters, and all of a sudden he paused. He was like, he saw the expressions, I think, on our face, and he was like, guys, hold on. You do realize that you will not die. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, I got that. No, it's pretty real, right? But it's real. It's real. Again, John, uh, in John 14, Jesus wants to encourage you and me. He says this. He's speaking to his disciples after he's told them that I'm going to die. <laughs> and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Do you think I would lie about that? And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's encouraging. It's very encouraging. So listen, uh, I'll conclude with this. I, I, I don't know everyone in this room this morning here today. I don't want to assume anything. So I, I don't know where each of you is at when it comes to the question of what will happen to you when you die. I don't know. So, some of you may honestly be here today and say, you know what? I don't know either. You can be assured by applying the words of Christ here. Just believe in me. Believe I am alive and I am alive evermore, that I rose from the dead on the third day and that I died for you and for your sins and I can give you the forgiveness that's necessary to be with me and the Father forevermore. Others might have a shaky faith, like the sincere faith that I alluded to before, but I can tell you this. I'm a little bit older than some of you here today. I can tell you this. You know, I lost my dad 16, 17 years ago. First close death that came to me and my home and my family. My mom six years ago. Janice's father a year ago. And then six weeks ago, a man who is my brother-in-law, who's three months older than me, passed away of cancer. Well, that, that's close to home. He's with the Lord. That I am absolutely certain. Faithful man of God. So again, I don't know where you're at here today, but I got I to gotta tell you this, that only an absolute, resolute faith that Jesus is alive today and forevermore and that you will be one day as well will carry you through the doubts that do come. That will come. And so, if those doubts arrive, let me point you back to these words in Revelation of Jesus. Fear not. I've got you. I've got this. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am all of it. And the living one. I died, yes. But behold, that's a big word in the Greek exclamatory. I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I want to repeat what we did twice already today, but a little differently. Will you repeat after me in a different way? He is alive. He is alive. That's much better. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth that sets all of us free. Free from guilt and shame, free from our sin. Thank you. 
thank you so much for that truth. Lord, thank you for being the truth, the way and the life and pointing us in the right way and the right direction. And thank you for giving us this life. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, yeah, I just pray for every man, woman, child in this building today. I pray, Lord, for salvation. I pray for those who know you that their confidence would soar today in you. That, Holy Spirit, you would just warm hearts today. You would warm us with the absolute assurance and knowledge that we are yours. And that no matter what comes, we will, we will be with you. So I want to thank you for that assurance. Pray your blessings upon us now as we continue in our acts of worship this morning, of communion and worship. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.